truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand. But let's face it, we're not really in demand. That's right. We are your subsidized programming, otherwise known as other programming here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast, and we wouldn't have it any other way. 888-900-3393 is the number. I mean, after all, if you're not subsidized in America today, then- Do you really exist? Exactly. You just don't matter if you're not being subsidized in America today. It is, of course, live from your welfare state. Thank you. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. For those of you listening via Blaze Radio or the podcast, that's D-E-A-C-E. Todd and Aaron are here with me, as is Nate Madden, because uh, we've got a very special first hour coming up here in just a moment. Next hour, we'll get to your feedback that you've been sending to us via the email the Facebook, which doesn't like us, but you can keep trying to like us there nonetheless. The Twitters, at Steve Dace Show. So a lot going on here today, but of course, it must begin with our weekly look at the week that was. Brought to you by realestateagentsitrust.com. It is the Dace Group. If you want to take advantage of plunging mortgage rates in a booming economy that creates a boom real estate market, now is the time for you to make sure that you have a real estate agent that you can trust. Somebody that has been nationally vetted with a to have a proven track record of success. Someone who's been nationally vetted to understand a marketing plan requires more, entails more than how about another open house this weekend no one shows up to. And somebody who's been nationally vetted to know what the phrase professional courtesy means, which means when they uh, when you send them a text, when you send them a, a you know an email, when you when you drop a voicemail, if anybody still does that nowadays, they actually return those. And then when they promised you, hey, we're going to do our best to make sure we don't give you any last minute requests, you know, like we got a live one down the street, can we stop by on a school night? If they, they if they told you, hey, we're going to give you a thirty minute heads up, this isn't the third time they violated that pledge. Okay, if you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, then you want to go to this website right now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Alongside our congressional correspondent, Nate Madden, he's our fourth member of the panel. Gentlemen, let's get to issue one. Bleep Democrats say. How are we going to screw the people? How are we going to kill indigenous cultures? Cattle is very energy consuming and energy expensive. Uh, and if you project forward on what we would need to do to reduce emissions, you would want to modify Americans' diets. Image that I saw on uh, TV um, in Libya, where you had Africans in a small room that were now captives. I couldn't stop seeing images of the current camps we have um, here at our border. I want to make sure I understand this, because to me, you, what, the point that you're making is, is a crucial one, right? 
The democratic structural impediments to big change on the level necessary to deal with the climate crisis are prior to the specific solution exactly to what we will exactly. do okay exactly. so that's exact much better said <laughs> point that I'm trying so to. growing up as a child in Guyana my grandfather used to tell us stories that God made the United States he told us the one about the wonders and freedoms in this country I live my life striving to become an American citizen and I'm proud to have achieved that goal as president what will you do? The future grandfathers will continue to share the stories of our great nation. I've been to Ghana. I've been all through Africa. I am, some of you know, supportive of a Medicare for all single payer system. And that means that everybody in the country has health care, including the undocumented. You get a tax break for a racehorse. Why in God's name couldn't we provide an $8,000 tax credit for everybody who has child care costs? It would put... It would put 720 million, back, million women back in the workforce. You have a very determined minority, in this case, wealthy white men and wealthy white Christian men and Christian Americans who are of the fundamentalist variety who are very clear that no matter what happens, if they have to pull the South Africa model to maintain power forever, they will do it. What you're asking... <laughs> is to produce the conditions of World War II-style mobilization in the absence of a Pearl Harbor, in the absence of a catalyzing event, and what is, that, what is the, the roadmap to get there? But what I don't agree with you, Chris, on is whether or not we have seen Pearl Harbor. I think you've seen the Bahamas, you've seen Katrina, you've seen drought and floods all over the world, you see the migration of people, you are seeing it now. My plan would reverse those toxic Trump tax cuts and give 150 million Americans through our RISE credit a tax increase and actually redefine work as we know it. Are you in fact in favor of gun confiscation? Yes. We need an integrated politics. We need to go beyond hard data. We need to go beyond just thinking about the facts. I want you to think about this with your heart. You can run the best campaign. You can have the best plans. You can get the nomination. You can win the popular vote. And you can lose the Electoral College and therefore the election for these four reasons. Number one, voter suppression. So, gentlemen, let's begin with the appropriate accompanying music, otherwise known as the Soviet National Anthem. You heard some Soviet in there. You know, we could get what we wanted if we didn't have a voting process. That was essentially Chris Hayes' question, right? Sure. Yeah. I, who did he even ask that to? Who is that guy? Uh, Bennett's? Bennett's? Yeah, yeah Bennett. I, I, I don't know who he is. So whoever that was, uh, they, they just said, well, if we didn't let people vote, we, we could do what we wanted. It's an impediment. Yes, voting is an impediment when you are a Soviet, indeed. First question, what was your favorite flavor of nuts this week? Nate, as our guest, you get to go first. Go ahead. Oh, my favorite, without a doubt, is just the continued gun confiscation fiasco that is Robert Francis O'Rourke now. I say that as a gun owner. I say that as a Second Amendment, uh, Second Amendment supporter. I say that as a shooting enthusiast and hobbyist. Thank goodness for Robert Francis O'Rourke, otherwise known as Beto. I, he's doing more to stave off the prospect of future gun control than anyone at the NRA, Gun Owners of America, or anybody on Capitol Hill in the in the Second Amendment caucus or otherwise could even dream of doing right now. Mm -hmm. Just simply by laying it all out bare, they want to take your guns away. 
And that is such a good point, Nate, especially when you look at what is happening politically right now. I mean, you have a, you've got a, a squish Manhattan, you know, lifelong liberal turned Republican in 2012 uh, president who his instinct has been on several occasions to initiate or discuss some initiation of gun control. Right. In fact, his White House is peddling this on Capitol Hill as we speak right now. All right. So you've got this squish president who's been looking for opportunities to sell us out on this. You've got the NRA in complete uh, disarray with, with internal tor- turmoil and civil war. Their political cloud is severely weakened at the moment. All of that self-inflicted by the, the various scandals and countercharges going on there. And you have polling showing that the American people are, are, are in favor of gun control while at the same time admitting they don't believe any of these things would actually stop these mass shootings, which, which goes to show now that the public has entered into the always dangerous, something must be done. You know, for, you've heard me say this in the past on this show. Whenever, yeah. whenever we get into something must be done, the worst solutions possible are happening. That is, that's the harmonic convergence the, the left has needed for serious rollback of gun rights, really since Brady, 25 years ago. And right when, they, right when it's lined up for them, out comes Beto to, to go ahead and let us into the, the, the party meetings when they're just amongst comrades about what the real goal here is. It has nothing to do with gun safety, but gun confiscation. He is an in-kind contribution to Second Amendment activists that, that really is in, of an incalculable amount, Nate. Oh, yeah. And yeah, by the way, I just, I, you know, this has been said over and over. I really hate it when they try to brand gun control as gun safety. Gun safety is keeping your finger off the trigger and pointing the muzzle in a safe direction. But exactly. <laughs> and now you've got, and now you've got Democrats on Capitol Hill. You got Joe Manchin, who's on the Manchin Toomey background check bill. Schumer, who's pushing for the quote unquote universal background check thing. And they're trying their best to distance themselves. I yep. read about it in this week's uh, in this week's Capitol Hill. Mansion just letter. dropped a come and get it, come and take it on Beto the other day, didn't he? Basically, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Mansion did. It's like you're not taking my guns, and so they're trying desperately to differentiate what they're actually trying the 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 specific things they want to do now versus the ultimate bottom of the slippery slope that yep. Beto admitted on national television. The issue is. You know, you've, you've shown people what's behind the curtain here. And ultimately, this this is the problem. Everything when it comes to gun control is a two-step. You admit that universal background checks aren't going to stop, you know, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of these shootings. You realize that we have so many guns in this country that aren't on a national registry. There's no way to, to enforce these universal background checks on, on private sales without the creation of a national registry. Now, the National Registry is the infrastructure that you need in order to start confiscating people's guns once you realize that all of your background check stuff didn't stop the crazy evil people from shooting places up. That's how we've gotten here. That's that's the slippery slope roadmap. And there may be some other twists and turns about red flag laws or this or that or safe storage or other kind of crap in the the, the end. We know where the road goes. Todd, pardon me, Nate. Todd, your favorite flavor of nut this week. Go ahead. Well, it's in comparing Chris Hayes, you already mentioned, and whatever he did or not. You, you're wondering what. So are last you week, Chris Hayes was, you know, this would be constitutional if it yeah. wasn't for the, if it wasn't in the or unconstitutional, wasn't for the constitution. Right. And this week, he's like, you know, this would be perfectly legal if we didn't have voting. So whatever he's saying there, uh, which is undeniably tyrannical on some level. Uh, I'd want to follow up to keep him going on that, but it's undeniably tyrannical. And then you go to over to his partner in crime, Joy Reid, who's blaming just Christians because they get out of me- bed in the morning. We believe in apartheid. You, the, it, 
the double uh, mindedness of the, this entire institution of mainstream journalism is such that they they, they just blather out nonsense like that uh, with zero level of accountability. This is this is the reason, Steve, you got up. However many months that I mean, are we a year out from that when you walked out of that interview? Because they say things. That was like, about a year ago. That's the same. When kind I of, was accused, I was told we were going to do a panel. Instead, it was just me being told I was for. It was Christian for Sharia. Christian Sharia law. Same thing there. Yeah. We're, we're Christians. We get up in the morning and we are on a razor's edge of uh, going full South Africa. Like, do you know anybody? Who even remotely close to think thinks like that on the right? Yet here, Chris Hayes is, who knows Joy Reid. They walk in the same circles and is saying they work for the same this, this pesky democracy thing is mm-hmm. really cutting into our desires. Yeah, they're the, aren't they the Democratic Party? Yes. Don't 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 One ask thing I will say like that. Is that if you want a bunch of reactionaries? who do start seeing problems with the liberal experiment and actually start wanting some versions of Christian Sharia law, the great way to do so is to keep pissing them off with stuff like this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and maybe, yeah, you know what? Is that four-dimensional chess? They're, they're, yeah, they're trying to, hey, we're coming to get your gun so that we can get us to act out like that. You think that? No, no. In fact, this. I'm just telling you, this is what they always thought. They just did not think it was safe until now to say it out loud. Aaron. I don't know if anybody picked up on this, but I put the the clips uh, overall in a, in a pretty specific order. We had in there what they want to do. Uh, we're going to affect your diet, Andrew Yang. Uh, we're going to roll back the tax cuts, Cory Booker. Um, we uh, are going to uh, take away your guns. Uh, all of those manner of things. This is what we're going to do. Oh, by the way, if you're a white male Christian... What we think of you is that you're akin to the people leading the apartheid in South Africa. At the end of all of this, Marianne Williamson, leave it to the high priest of progressivism, says, don't think about the facts. Right. Think about this with it. your heart. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, and if you don't vote for us, well, it was voter suppression. I, th- I did that in a very specific way, but if there was one clip, it was definitely the Marianne Williamson thing. That is the, that is the mantra that is the mantra. If, if, there was a, if there was a verse or one thing about the Bible that sticks out to you, and there's, there could be any number of things, but if there was a progressive bi- uh, Bible, John 3, what, what, what would be akin to John 3.16 would be what Marianne Williamson said. Don't, essentially, don't think about the facts or logic. Just think about this with your heart. That would be akin to John 3.16 and the progressive's Bible. Perfect. I mean, you're right, Aaron. What you laid out is the, we talk about this and we have for years and now other people are starting to pick up on it. We've talked about this being the heresy of the era, the spirit of the age cult of the of, of, of this of this time period. What you laid out in the montage is the full hermeneutic. You are the problem. Yes. They are the solution. Right. Um, they therefore should run you, because they're the solution, they get to run your life. They get to tell you what decisions you make. They're not accountable. To those decisions. If you don't go along with them, then the only reason that they were denied uh, true progress is uh, are dead letters, antiquated notions, or you cheated and lied or suppressed them in some way. Uh, and then at the end, don't you know, don't use any critical thinking. Don't think this through. Just go off of emotion. That's a cult, folks. And the number one thing a cult does is it damages the people on the inside more than anyone else that it claims to be protecting. And that's what you see. That's what you see with the with the way that it treats minorities and everything else. You saw the full hermeneutic of a cult 
in Aaron's montage. Very well done, Aaron. On a scale of one to 10, with one symbolized by Lindsey Graham's T-level and 10 meaning Ilan Omar's raging anti-Semitism, rate this week's level of cray-cray. Nate? I don't know how to rate it anymore. I've gotten That's so inundated with all the cray-cray. Yeah. I, guess, I guess you have to say like a six or a seven if you can't tell. Aaron thinks you had the right answer the first time. You don't know how to rate it anymore because it's just so fast like, and we, so we furious. Trying this objective? Like, yeah. So like we're trying this to like to, to like an otherwise sane era. Are we are we going off of like the, the 2019? That's your call. Crazy. Yeah, your call. So off the 2019 definition, this is like this is a this is another two or three, okay. you know, off of like objectively what is sane and what is not like I, I don't think we're even on the on the one to ten scale. Anymore. Right. What do you think, Todd? Well, that's why I start. I, I I've become numb to it. So I, but I don't want to minimize it by going to two to three or or believe that this can get eight points worse. I because that's just biblical tales that i'm just not prepared to wrap my brain around so i can't i don't think i can go lower than an eight anymore i'm gonna probably be a 10 every week until you, you yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna we should i think i should i need to do this run of the mill now or, or do this in reverse they need to show me it's run of the mill you know what i'm saying no i got like, you. They, yeah. like i'm gonna be a 10 every week and then they need to show yeah. me they've dialed it down yeah okay uh, that, because yeah. if because we have to be careful because we confront this all the time and we live mm-hmm. in this arena that we can get numb to it yes right oh but the yeah. reality is as a standalone construct everything in there yeah is a is insane and treasonous yes Ab- tree yes. and i'm using that word on purpose yeah everything yes. in there is insane and treasonous and plus it's okay? your mood when you walk in here i mean sometimes i just want to fist fight everybody and yes. t- uh, today i'm the a red, little bit the more red like coach uh, demanded far less yeah. far less Yes. Then what they're, the left is demanding of you in that video right there. Aaron? I think it's going to be a 7.5 this week. Issue two, Kavanaugh Redux. The New York Times published a story last weekend of one Deborah Ramirez. The Times claims now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh dropped trow and had his penis shoved at her face during a party while the two were attending Yale. Of course, this means that every single lefty and their mother's dog were bleating for one thing, impeaching Brett Kavanaugh. Well, after a metric crap ton of fallout from and pushback on the story, the New York Times updated their article, which had been adapted from a forthcoming book on the subject matter, to make a small, small clarification. Deborah Ramirez, the woman who supposedly had Brett Kavanaugh's penis shoved in her face, doesn't remember the incident at all. That's right. We relitigated the Kavanaugh mess from last year, all on a story from the New York Times, whose main claim turned out to be, at the very, very best, hearsay. The authors of the newest Kavanaugh hit piece went on TV afterwards to take responsibility for their story. In, in your draft of the article, did it include those words that have since been added to the article? It did. It, it did. did. So somewhere in the editing process, those words were. Yeah, trapped. I mean, I think what happened actually was um, that, you know, we had her name and, and, you know, the Times doesn't usually include the name of a right. victim. And so I think in this case, the editors felt like maybe it was probably better to remove it. And in removing her name, um, they removed the other reference to the fact that she didn't remember. Okay, it. So in that sentence that had her name, it also yeah. had that she doesn't remember it. They took out the whole sentence. And in, in removing her name in order to kind of protect her and make sure pe- we weren't sort of sending people to her door, yeah. we also took out um, the fact that she didn't remember it. Did you read it right before it went to print? You know, I, I, we thought we had. We thought we did. Yeah. By the way, there's, a, there's another clip of these same reporters in the past telling this exact same anecdote before their book was written. 
um, making a reference to this story without making that without saying that the woman in question had forgotten about it. All right. You've got Maggie Haberman at the New York Times, and I've known Maggie for years. Uh, a lot jumping on Twitter um, to um, say, yeah, we knew all of, basically to say all along, they knew the New York Times news department knew that the story they were running in the Sunday editions that drove the entire news cycle over the weekend was complete and total bunk. So there you go. Let's get to the first question here. Why did the left return to this discredited scam? Why, what, what, what do you think they think they're doing, Todd? Oh, I'm certain of it. Okay. And this goes back to it's uh, my previous answer with Joy Reid and Chris Hayes. Amongst all the things, the politicians are more feeling around, except for Beta, who has now found his zen. But you know, but the, the certainty that comes from Joy Reid, the certainty that comes from Chris Hayes, the same certainty with the – trust me, they were bumbling around with an explanation here because they know they got caught. But when they're in the newsroom, I've, I've seen these people. I know these people. It's why I believe journalism is magical and not a broken uh, – uh, at all broken to my very bones they are better than you that's what they think and it is their job to get this done they are the watchers on the wall they are colonel jessup they believe it they're the ezekiels of the pagan cult right they're the watchmen on the wall is that what you're saying and it's why somebody like me when i was in the walls was held in such contempt you couldn't even have a conversation with most of them honestly they, they they went hunting and how dare, and, and it just watch how they they keep calling we, we protect the victims it, it just goes to show how they are bending and twisting philosophically the language she's not a victim yeah she she's not calling herself a victim i'm not on this team what are you doing but they're insisting she has to be it even though she isn't that's what's going on it is narrative casting it's what they do every day at the paper forget this big thing with the supreme court every day almost every story this is what they are doing, and because they hate you so much, they will never stop because this is their faith. It goes back to what Steve said. They think like cultists. Nate. Todd stole my thing. Double down <laughs> on it because it's true. Well, no, let's and just from personal experience, this is why I, I, can, I can go entire days on Capitol Hill without talking to anybody about an interview subject. Right. Like every other, you know, all the other people in the stakeout, all the other people everywhere else. I have I, I learned a long time ago after after listening to these people talk, after seeing the way that a lot of these folks view their 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 role in the public square and everything else. I have no desire to sit at that lunch table. Um, so, yeah, I, I spend a lot of my days on Capitol Hill in near complete silence up until it's time to ask a politician a question. But, uh, it, but it's that's just it. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. You know, it's one thing to read these reports as I, as I do in the written pieces throughout the day. As I'm, you know, but I, I didn't actually sit down and watch the video clips until a second ago. The fact that somebody who supposedly, you know, is who supposedly works at one of the top outlets in this profession, supposedly, can say all of that with a straight face. Just, yep. it, it reiterates all of these prejudices I have against against everyone else in this field. You know. They're not prejudices. They're observations. They're the ones with the prejudices. They, I mean, they've exercised their prejudices. You know, you would be, you'd be adult to ignore it. Yeah, you're. They're not prejudices, Nate. They're observations. They're the ones with the prejudices. Aaron, and, and much like a cult. Oh, sorry. No, you, you want to have a point? You wanted to yeah, finish and there. Much like a cult. I, I believe that the people who it are, is a cult. Know, 
Yes, there are people who legitimately believe that they're doing the right thing here. That they, that they that these these refreshed uh, calls for impeachment are, are actually that they're actually arguing in in good faith. You know, I, I believe that there are different levels to a cult here. This is the, this is the line the of thinking. Hand. This is the line yeah. of thinking the church was up against with Baal, with Molech, with Chemosh, um, with with the Greek pantheon, with Jupiter, with Nero, with 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 Domitian, Diocletian, with with the Druids. Okay, everywhere the church has gone through the through the beginning of God's redemptive arc. You read these stories in history books or in the scriptures or in church tradition and they seem so far off. This is the this is the institutionalized counter-religious thinking that the church has encountered all throughout its history. It's just new to us in this era, but there is nothing new under the sun era. And that's what I was going to go to, kind of the flip side of, of that and looking at it from, from the other side. The, the question that you posed is, why did the left revisit this? Well, I think to kind of encapsulate what I'm about to say, it is fundamentally an act of worship, an act of remembrance uh, for them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thoroughly believe that. I think they are going back to it for the same reason. Do you think the Israelites, uh, when they were wa- wandering around in the wilderness, and no, I'm not, I'm not comparing progressives to, to Israelites, but uh, the, the Israelites, do you think that they just, a, a year later, just forgot that time, you know, one of the more benign miracles that God provided? Do you think they just forgot that one time that water started coming out of a rock? No, they're going to they're going to remember it and talk about it some more. I'm not comparing uh, any of the motivations. I'm just saying this is the flip side. This is the this is the uh, the upside down of church of, of of church tradition of uh, uh, of orthodoxy and of things like that. It is fundamentally this is like. Uh, this is like any number of church tradition throughout the the years is remembering the things that we have done. And it's really hard. And I'm really I don't know, maybe I should be embarrassed that I'm thinking about it through through that lens, um, because it is fundamentally insane and crazy. And it is the, the mind of the Joker whenever we try to diagnose this. But I truly do believe this, that this is the outpouring of a religious movement. This is just an act of remembrance. Remember a few weeks ago when we had the 1619 Project from the New York Times? That's akin to an encyclical. This is just an uh, akin to, wow, look at the great works that uh, progressivism has wrought. Again, facts, anything like that, it never mattered. The real crime here, because of the intersectionality, is that Brett Kavanaugh was guilty of being su- successful while being a white male. That is the real crime here. It doesn't matter whether or not he did any of this to them. That is the thing that they are doing, and that's what they, why they all keep doing this. And I don't want to step on the next question, so I'm going to stop talking. Now. In other words, like a dog returns yes. to its own vomit. Yeah. Uh, exit question, is Kavanaugh a precedent or an outlier that backfired? Meaning, is this the scam they're going to pull on nominations like his for the foreseeable future, or did they learn any lessons here? Nate? I operate under the assumption that no one in Washington ever learns any lessons about anything ever. So, no, this is this is the tactic that we can expect to see. Um, and, you know... Who knows? Maybe maybe everybody will get a case of amnesia between now and when the next replacement is and we'll be off. You know, we'll have to go through this whole thing again. And it'll be the job of, of people to actually remind everybody else that, no, they've done this before. But, you know, maybe people will remember. I'm never optimistic about anything that happens in this godforsaken swamp. Todd, it's a precedent. And here's how, you know, Steve, because you and I were both back in the newsroom. I, you were you were gone by the time I got there. But we're talking two decades ago. Here's how, you know, back then. 
people, if they made a mistake like this, even a smaller mistake, they would have been mortified. They wouldn't have thrown, they wouldn't have thrown their fellow uh, journalists or their editors under the bus. They wouldn't say we thought we read it because the profession demanded way more decorum in terms of dotting I's, crossing T's. The fact that they are so blasé about this yeah. shows that that is a dead letter. All they care about is the cult, the cause. That's how you know. Well, there are still some. We saw Vanity Fair. We saw several other news outlets go after them. From, they're, they're positioning. positioning because they're afraid yes. uh, that, that what, the, what the New York Times did here to the media is what Beta O'Rourke has done on guns. Yeah. Just let the cat out of the bag so everybody can see it. You're right. The way this would have happened before is they would have defended their creed and their fellow journalists to the, to the core, put up a correction, and then the story would have disappeared to hope that we ever forgot they were this ham-fisted and gone on to the next st- story that would have reinforced their narrative. The fact the dog keeps returning to its own vomit yep. and doesn't recognize that it's vomit is very cultic. Exactly. Aaron? It's a precedent. This is them living out their faith. You know, if it is a precedent, you know what? If you're taking odds on uh, if, if, if Amy Coney Barrett being Trump's next Supreme Court nominee, I'd bet those. Because if, if the precedent is we're going to find out how what every white male did when they that you nominate when they were drunk in college 38 years ago, and if we can't find out, we're just going to make up poop. Okay. Well, then you know I can think of one way to counter that. You put up a, a female with what with like six kids, okay, who's been married to the same man for a couple of decades, and you shove that right in their faces, like he should have done last year when he nominated Brett Kavanaugh instead. Just saying. We'll come back more of the Dace Group Roundtable. What if it is really Elizabeth Warren versus Donald Trump? We'll take a peek ahead when we return here on the Dace Group. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. You know those annoying robocalls, the ones that say you're pre-approved for credit cards or loans? Be careful. Giving them any information is one of the ways that scammers are reaching out to take advantage uh, and steal your home's title. And the reason why is uh, our home titles and mortgage records are all kept online now and databases that can be hacked. So scammers are trying to find multiple ways of getting a hold of your personal information because even if they can't steal your identity, they can steal your most important investment, the equity in your own home. And then they, uh, when they get that information, they make it look like you sold your home to them. They take out loans against your equity, sticking you with the payments, maybe even the foreclosure notices. Your bank doesn't protect you. Your identity theft protection, which you should have, doesn't protect you either. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. They put a virtual barrier around your home's title and that way, if they detect any tampering whatsoever, they immediately move uh, to, to protect it. Uh, and here's the thing. Your home may already have been tampered with and you don't even know it. You can find out as well as preemptively protect your most important investment, your own home, right now with 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, get 60 risk-free days of protection for your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Steve Dace, Todd Erz, and Aaron McIntyre, Nate Madden back here with the Dace Group Roundtable, our weekly look at the week that was, and let's get to issue three. So what if it is Warren? Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me um, a beer. Oh, this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, and I'm uh, crazy. I love you. I love you, too. Thank you for being here. Who have we got here so far? Um, Fortnite? Good to see you. 
New polls out this week show Elizabeth Warren is gaining some steam in early states. An Iowa State University poll of Iowa shows Warren leading Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders by eight points, 24% to 16% for both Biden and Sanders, while Pete Buttigieg shows a strong 13% in fourth place. A new poll by the Democrat activist group Focus on Rural America shows Joe Biden leading Warren 25% to 23% in Iowa, with Buttigieg in third place at 12%. Bernie Sanders is all the way back in that poll at fourth place with 9%. If the trend nationally and in Iowa remains true, we could be gearing up for a Pocahontas versus Trump election. So true or false, and, and Todd, I'll start with you here. True or false, Warren would be a more formidable foe for Trump than Joe Biden. It is true. Wow. It is true, uh, but uh, narrowly so. I'm still waiting for an implosion from her, as I said earlier in the week. Uh, she's done really well to recover from the utter nonsense you saw there uh, by just being who I think she really is. But this is a long way to go, and and she's going to get problems from her own side. She should if they really want to win before— uh, she uh, has to deal with uh, Trump uh, and the Republicans. So, But I think the reason why she will be more formidable is because she's a woman. And there's a notion of first black president, now uh, first woman president. Uh, a lot of women will simply vote for her uh, because she has a uterus. Hmm. Nate, what do you think? False. Here's the thing. Joe Biden's running on legacy. Yeah. Uh, the the old thing, the, his age is going to play a factor. His supposed health is going to play a factor, and he's not really going to address that right up until we get, you know, right up until the Iowa caucuses. Let's face that fact right now. Um, but here's the thing: as much as we on the right talk about Joe Biden's gaffes, he's been making them for 40 years, and the people who are already in his camp they they know this about him. He spent eight years as as a, as a living, breathing, walking punchline and the constant subject of internet memes about he was basically just Barack Obama's doofus sidekick. The thing is, on the left, at least when it comes to this primary, uh, at least when it comes to this primary thing, you know, he's still got a lot of that. He's still got a lot of that goodwill from the Obama years. Um, and let's face it, that we've talked about, you know, the Trump's likability problem. One thing Joe Biden doesn't have, at least if he just keeps playing the lovable goof, he's not going to have a likability problem. You know, he may have some questions about his health, questions about his age. He's never going to have that issue. He's going to pass the beer test more than more than Donald Trump is going to be, unless there's going to be unless there's a severe change in Trump's de- demeanor or approach, which would probably hurt him with his own base, honestly. Um, but Elizabeth Warren, I don't see how people could get as excited. You know, she's it's, it's Hillary Clinton without the long legacy, right? It's, it's Hillary Clinton without all the email baggage. It's Hillary Clinton without the, you know, the, like all, literally all the other baggage that goes in. But at the same time, it's, she, she doesn't have that, that, that sort of a m- momentum that Hillary had from, from being secretary of state. She's, she's, yeah, she's a woman. Um, but she's still a little awkward as we saw in the video, you know, she, she's, she's, She's awkward. She's very detailed in what she wants to do, but that you know, fourteen point plans on this, that, and the other don't really sell that well outside of wonk circles. I, I think Joe Biden's going to still be more formidable than Elizabeth Warren. So, I agree with you that the answer is false. I, I slightly disagree with you with Biden because I these aren't gaffes. Now, I mean, he can't formulate thoughts. Hey, you know, I mean, he he, he is he's struggling 
to communicate. I mean, it, it's it's painful. It and, is, and 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 I frankly think it shows he's not fit for the office. I mean, it, the hours, the, the the stress that goes into this job doesn't help um, with your men, doesn't help you sharpen your mental faculties. And um, we we've all seen the photos of how old people look when they go into the White House and how old they look when they come out. That being said, though, he's the he Trump needs the Democrats to nominate a candidate that doesn't have crossover appeal, because his biggest problem is there's just, no matter what he does, there's a large segment of people that don't like him, that just want him gone. And that includes people, by the way, who, would, who should be voting for him based on issues and performance. They just want his clown show to end. They're tired of it. They find it grating and corrupting. And so what he needs is the Democrats to nominate somebody who doesn't present those people a safe harbor. The idea that Okay, well, because Trump's Twitter account annoys me, I have to vote for communism. There's, see, there's a lot of voters that want Trump gone. There's not a lot of voters that want to do that instead. All right? And so Joe Biden, to me, is the one, is the one candidate they have with crossover appeal. He's the one guy, because of the legacy that you touched into, that gives those voters a, a sense of they can lie to themselves. I'm not getting the full crazy. I'm, we're not banning fracking. You know, we're, we're not killing live-born babies. We're not raising taxes. We're not, we're not doing all those things. It's like the Obama years. I was so fun to lie to myself then when we had a black president um, that I'm not a racist. He, he's that legacy. Warren, I don't believe, is capable nor willing to offer a candidacy with crossover appeal because she wants to win the argument of the of the of the feminist club at the Wellesley College for Women. She's out to win an argument with history. She's proud of the fact that there is no crossover appeal. And she's one of the folks up there saying the democratic process is what gets in our way here. So, I, to me I think Trump's kryptonite is the is the Democrats nominating a candidate with crossover appeal. If they do, I believe he'll lose, regardless of what the price of gas is, regardless of what the economy is or the unemployment rate is. If they nominate a candidate who is who has crossover appeal, and if it's not Biden because he's not capable for office, then I don't know who they have in the field that that is right now. But if they were to find someone who was capable and had crossover appeal, he's going to lose. Now, if they don't nominate that candidate, which is every other candidate, including Biden, because I don't think he'll play well being un- unfit for office, then I think they need the economy to tank for Trump to lose. Your thoughts on that, Nate? Yeah, no. So I, I think I should have phrased it differently. I, I no, they're, they're clearly it's more than what it was when he was just goofing around during the Obama administration, or at least perceived to be goofing around during the Obama administration. Right. This is this is this is very this is something very different. But again, you can lie to yourself. You can tell yourself that these are gaffes. You can tell yourself that this is just more goofy Uncle Joe and it's going to be fine to hand him the nuclear codes. Right. And that that speaks directly to that, to yeah. that crossover. Piece. Yes. Because we've gotten so used to him saying saying, you know, we've gotten so used to him being the goofy gaffer for for 40 years that now that like when he's legitimately starting to lose traction, yes. If you need to lie to yourself, you can you can lie to yourself on that. Okay, Aaron, you get the last word. Yeah, so I'm not trying to be a jerk here or a hipster and uh, choose an option that was not presented at the beginning of this uh, of this question. But here I go. I think it's for all the reasons that you pointed out that this is a wash. 
that's neither true nor false because the positives like six months ago, I would have said absolutely. Joe Biden is a much more uh, formidable candidate than Elizabeth Warren. But that uh, formality or uh, is is limited and mitigated so severely, or at least it will be on the debate stage. I mean, he is going to make Donald Trump look like freaking Einstein up there. And so that crossover appeal, I think, is going to be mitigated when his team. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to be a, a jerk here. It's going to be mitigated when he can't remember what he was about, what the, the question that he was asked and when his teeth are falling out. I'm sorry, guys. That's just the way it is. On the other, on the other side of the equation, though, uh, Elizabeth Warren actually can form coherent sentences. But unfortunately, those sentences are made up of uh, we're going to control what food you can eat. Also, we're going to increase the cost of your health care by doing Medicare for all at all. You get what I'm saying here. Sure. I just think that it's a wash at this point. Um, but I might if agree you put, with that too. If you put a gun to my head, I would say I would I would probably say that Joe Biden is a more formidable uh, uh, option by like that much. I I agree with that analysis. I I would be, now the reason why I still think he'd rather run against Warren than Biden is because if we're wrong, that let's say Biden's not unfit for office. Let let's say his mental faculties are not eroding. He's he's just rusty. Sure. And, and and three months from now, there's some head of steam or second wind, okay, that we don't foresee happening. That typically doesn't happen to 80-year-old men, by the way. They usually get a second wind. They're usually drawing their last breath, you know. I mean, they're, they're not buying green bananas, okay. Um, that's typical. Uh, it, but if this is atypical, you know, one of my best buddies is 82 years old. You guys met him here last week. That strike you, he flew across country to come out here and, and hang out with us. Did that strike you as a guy who... Was 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 eighty two and slowing down and didn't know what end no, was up. I wouldn't have known. No, but but is that typical of that age though? At the same time, no. I mean, Biden right now is already at the average life expectancy for a white male in America, seventy eight years old. Let's say he gets a second win though, and we're wrong. Then I think it's not even close that he's the far more formidable opponent because we're back to he provides the safe harbor for those that just want to vote Mm -hmm. Trump out of office. I don't believe that any point Elizabeth Warren will offer that harbor, though. Elizabeth Warren is 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 shaking her fist at God. All right. And she's going all the way with this period. And I think that's why. I don't think your analysis is wrong, but that's why I still think that he'd rather run against Warren because there's never going to be a point unless the economy tanks. And if the economy tanks, Trump's losing anyway, no matter what they do. Yep. But unless the but there's never a point where Elizabeth Warren is going to provide crossover appeal. She's going to make Michael Dukakis look like Jack Kennedy, guys. Let's get to the exit question. But, you know, I've been wrong before. If the odds Warren will be the eventual Democrat nominee in 2020 were a Led Zeppelin song, which Led Zeppelin song would it be? A, Over the Hills and Far Away, B, The Lemon Song, or C, All My Love? Todd. The Lemon Song. All right. What do you think, Nate? Nate, Todd's not buying it. What do you think, Nate? When the levee breaks. (laughs) (laughs) We're way too far out, man. We need to get this thing down to like three or four people and see what happens when we actually get in the box. Then a better answer to go off the board with would have been communication breakdown, but I appreciate what you did nonetheless. All right, Todd. I'm sorry, Aaron. Uh, The Lemon Song. Yeah, I think it's All My Love. I, I said a month ago, I think it's most likely she's going to be the nominee when you game plan it out, and I still think that. I don't think I don't think uh, there's going to be a Billy Joel second wind here uh, for Joe Biden. I think we we saw his best gasp. Let's get to issue four. Confess your climate sins. 
NBC News set up a tool of sorts to help people express their guilt over being such terrible environmentalists. They're calling it climate confessions, and according to the website, quote, even those who care deeply about the planet's future can slip up now and then. Tell us where you fall short in preventing climate change. Do you blast the AC, throw out half your lunch, grill a steak every week? Share your anonymous confession with NBC News. The best submission by far so far is this one, quote, I like my house to be 85 in the winter and 55 in the summer. Deal with it, hippies. <laughs> All right, before you confess your climate sins, I'm going to give you a second to truly, like they do when we take communion at church. You know what? This is a time of confession before you partake, right? To make sure that you are a soul in good conscience before you take part of the Lord's Supper. If we're going to take part in the pagan spirit of the age progressivism, I need to give you guys a moment to seriously think about the climate sins you need to confess while I remind folks that if you want to know where the worldview came from that defeated all this stuff, that is, that is they claim this is progressive. It's all regressive. This stuff's all been tried before. Western civilization defeated this. American exceptionalism defeated this once. Why is it making a comeback? Because we have forgotten our legacy. We've turned our back on it. That's why Glenn Beck and some of the VIPs here at The Blaze are leading this cruise through history a year from now. And I got to warn you, though, um, this is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. That's the good news. The bad news is you're about to miss that opportunity uh, because you're about to miss it. It's it's selling out fast. There's only a few spots left. If you want to tour Athens, Rome, Jerusalem, walk where Christ and the apostles walked, visit the, uh, the, the origins of the republic and our commerce and our capitalistic system. Find out what planted the seeds for Western civilization on this trip next year. And if you want to get details, go to the website, comesailaway.com. That's where to go. Uh, it's an all-inclusive trip that includes airfare, gratuities, everything. And yes, you can bring the kids and the grandkids. Plenty of learning, but plenty of fun too. Go to the website, comesailaway.com. All three of you have now had a moment of reflection to confess your climate sins. Todd, go. Well, uh, I've got a heaping plate of grotesque white privilege for you for the second week in a row. For the second week in a row, uh, the boss here is being very benevolent, going to let me go an hour early because i got to go on one of my white privilege crusades, and I'm going to do it. I'm hopping in with another dad uh, and our two daughters, and we're going to get in like an F-250 pickup. It's not like run on electricity. We are going to waste a lot of gas driving to Indianapolis to get there uh, by uh tonight so it just spoiled rotten um you know little suburban uh white girls having their daddy silver spoon in their mouth all that stuff but quickly i'm doing it to go play soccer so there's an offset that's my carbon offset the one world government so i i'm clean nate quick go let's see i smoke cigars i drive a 20 year old chevy suburban that i fixed up i grill steaks i grill all kinds of meat and when I'm not grilling meat at my house, I go and I get fast food from people who have produced it, you know, on a mass scale. I grew up farming, which means I've dumped a lot of diesel fuel in the air in, in an effort to provide people food. Um, I, I don't have time to do a full confession. It's kind of like the first one. And you don't, you don't, do like you don't the, seem repentant about any of this. Either. Because I'm not. Neither I'm one of you has so far. There hasn't been a very confessional attitude. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. You know, in, in the church, according, I'm a complete degenerate reprobate in the in the church. Thank you. Of, uh, in the church of climate. Science. Thank you, Aaron. Go. Uh, so I live on the on the third floor of my apartment, right adjacent to kind of a natural wildlife area type of thing, kind of a, like a park. Uh, so third floor, I have my grill up there. Earlier this week, I was grilling a couple of uh, third pound burger patties. I I always cook my meat slow, so it was kind of on the lowest uh, setting. 
and uh, I just completely forgot about it. It was on there for like two hours, so I was burning propane, just wasting it for like two and a half hours. I come back, they're charred to, uh, they're, they're charred pretty good. They're basically bricks. So I take the spatula, I lift it up, and I literally just fling the burgers off the side of my apartment into this natural area. Wasted food, wasted energy, and I polluted, or I, I'm sorry, I littered at the same time. That's my confession. I think that's called the Trinity yeah. uh, in, in this religion. Let's get to predictions, and they've got to be quick. Todd, go. Uh, Badgers over the Wolverines. That's not a prediction. I just, that, I just had to say it. I, I can rarely say it with such confidence, okay. and it's All not right. even that much confidence. Nate, go ahead. Saying it. I'm going to continue smoking cigars, driving a 20-year-old Suburban, <laughs> and uh, eating fast food. That's so. the right answer. Yeah, that's right. Answer. So, I had a, so I think that I think that I think that confession didn't take. I'm not. I don't know how that works over there in y'all's church, but I I, I think I know enough to know that confession didn't take. It wasn't legit. Oh yeah, there's right. no contrition. It's not valid. All right, yeah. I'm uh, I'm making the same uh, game prediction, just going the opposite way. I think Michigan. I this is just one of those spots where everybody is against them. They have too much talent for this. So I'm taking Michigan over the Badgers. Not a fade on the Badgers. The Badgers are no. great. I just Michigan I, has the true. upper hand. That strikes me as your proxy more Hawkeye proxy war with Nick. With I Todd. really, really love, really, really <laughs> yeah. love just the, uh, you know, just the, the benefit of the doubt that you always give me in these situations, Steve. It just, <laughs> I complimented you always, earlier. Yeah. No, Take it and run always, with it. Always, always, always such a great feeling. My prediction, the 2020 democratic ticket is going to be Elizabeth Warren and North Carolina governor, Roy Cooper. That's what I think the ticket's going to be. Who's Roy Cooper? Uh, He is a white male Democrat governor of a Southern swing state. All right. And remember, I I predicted the exact Democratic ticket last time around. I had that one right. So how much predicted stock are you buying in that? Um, I just made this pick, so I'm about to go buy some here pretty soon. All right, Nate, thanks for joining us, man. Good to see you. Take care, brother. You got it. We're going to come back. Hour two. It's Feedback Friday next. Stay tuned. All right, back here, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd has taken off early for the weekend. Aaron is here with us as well. We'll get to your feedback here on a Feedback Friday in just a moment. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can send in your feedback. You can also do so via Facebook if you try to like us there. Good luck with that, though. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Um. If you're struggling with some of your weight loss goals and you're wondering, why haven't I hit the marks here? Uh, I know why you, you might be thinking in the past it didn't work out because you weren't working out. You weren't increasing your metabolic level, your activity level, right? Well, maybe this time you're doing that and you're still not hitting uh, your milestones. Did you know that your body was actually made to crave and conserve calories? And the reason being is, I, I know this seems weird to us, but it's really only been in the last century or so of human development that food wasn't considered scarce or scarce, depending on how you like to pronounce that word, that food was considered convenient and plentiful. This is, we take this for granted in the West, but until, you know, recently that just wasn't true of anybody outside of the elite of elite classes. And, and that's how those farmers worked those fields, all those hours, all those centuries. And that's how people used to stand there and, and work on those lines, all those hours, all those centuries, their bodies were conserving calories Right, but but and that can therefore make it difficult when you decide, 
I've got all this food convenience and now I want to try to lose weight. That, that can make it hard to control your portion sizes, your cravings, etc. That's why you want to give Riduzone a shot. All right. So there's a molecule in the body. It's called OEA. And this is all that it does is uh, communicates from the belly to the brain to let the belly and let the brain know from the belly that it's full down here. Do your thing. For various reasons, though, it's just not strong enough in a lot of our symptoms. And that's all Riduzone is, is that OEA going back into the body. All right. It's a boost. It's a supplement. Vegan friendly, gluten free, FDA accepted, not loaded with chemicals, stimulants, additives, preservatives, caffeine. It's just OEA. If you want to give it a shot right now and see if that's the missing link to control your appetite when willpower only goes so far, uh, you can get 30% off a three-month supply right now at Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, 30% off a three-month supply right now at Riduzone.com. All right, let's get to the feedback that you've been sending to us. We begin here with Matt Roberts. He says, I happen to be living in the greater Chicago area where Joe Walsh is still doing drive time. In, uh, in early 2017, and I listened to him and I got a front row seat to Joe Walsh's transformation via his radio program. The first major scandal I recall Walsh strongly coming out against the president and his own listeners was the John McCain debacle. Joe Walsh is very much the police and military can do no wrong. And how dare you question them when Trump started talking trash to McCain? He just broke. Joe's just bitter because he believed all of Trump's BS and somehow didn't see this coming. So first of all, Matt, thank you for your perspective. And I, I appreciate attempts to try to help us figure out where Joe Walsh suddenly just learned that Donald Trump doesn't tell the truth all the time. I mean, was this a new revelation in, in, in 2015, Aaron? Uh, no. Was it a new revelation in 2016? Absolutely not. And yet that, that didn't stop uh, Joe Walsh from waving the pom-poms, correct? Yep. Now, this particular explanation, that it was about the, uh, Trump's attacks on John McCain, had Trump ever attacked John McCain before? See, when you first said that, hmm. when you first said that, I was asking the same thing myself. I'm like, yeah. Can you think of a time that Trump attacked John McCain prior to 2017? Can you can you think of a time where that occurred? Hmm. Does that does that ring a bell to you at all? Oh yeah, I like yeah. POD. I like soldiers who weren't captured. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was standing. 10 feet, maybe 20, from Trump when he said that. It was right here in central Iowa when those comments were made. So Trump attacking John McCain's nothing new either. Yep. You know, so do you think you think it's possible Joe Walsh was not aware of I, Trump's previous attacks no, on John McCain? I, I'm asking. Not. I don't know. Of course not. And that's why when, when you read that note, that part of the note, I was thinking— mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, Walsh was actually criticizing him back in, what, that, that was 2015 when the, that went down? Right. Uh, wow, I didn't really... But then I realized, again, after, the, after he passed away a couple of years, whenever that was, uh, yeah, there were some more things. So this is not new, like you said, at all. Now, Matt, I do agree as someone that until it just became a... If you become a one-trick pony uh, anywhere, I stop following you. Okay, I just... It, when, when you give yourself over to any narrative, even if it's one that, you know, at times I may even be supportive of, I just can't stand uh, Kool-Aid sipping on, on, on any level, right? So once you become, once you delve into pagan-esque mantras, I just stop following you, you know? And, and I did see an a bit of an evolution with, with Walsh, with Trump's 
attacks on the intelligence community and some of the um, enforcement mechanisms in government. And I get that. I, I guess I get some of that. But tell me. And, and I said at the beginning of his presidency, I didn't think it was a good move to attack those people because they could just make stuff up in the media, which we have, I think that warning actually worked out. That's essentially where the Russian collusion narrative came from, right? Yep. Just a bunch of, you know, uh, I see people that don't like Trump just co- colluded with the media to put this narrative out there and force it down our throats for two years. But that's a different criticism than the one Walsh is lobbying. I just didn't think it was politically smart. But tell me, the intelligence community, where were all the WMDs in Iraq? Tell me the intelligence community, where, where, where have we been successful in picking and choosing winners and, and coalitions to back in the Muslim world? When? I, I, don't, I don't know that our intelligence community has a really great record at the moment. And I think let's, let's, let's not treat Joe Walsh like a construct and a straw man. And let's say that that really, because I, I totally understand. If you're an old school conservative, those are your institutions, right? Those are kind of your rock-ribbed institutions. Like the left looks at Hollywood and the media as theirs. If you're, if you're on the right, you traditionally look at the military, the intelligence operation, um, you know, law enforcement. Those are, your, those are your home turfs. I get the instinct uh, that if, if you come out of that old school conservative mindset that you may look at Trump's questioning of them and criticism of them as a bridge too far for you. I understand that. Here's what I don't understand, though. And this is where there, this is where sometimes just being a conservative in a Christian worldview don't align, all right? Because when we talk about total depravity on this show, I am inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to the intelligence community and the military more than the media and academia too. I'm inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to the police over the race baiters too. I but I but that's the benefit of the doubt. That, that doesn't mean that you have a perpetual dispensation. That, that doesn't mean that, that I benefit it out is not the assumption of your innocence. It means I'm going to sit back and wait before I automatically pronounce guilt. That's what it means. But you still have to prove that you're worthy of that benefit. When you have a culture in moral decline, as ours undoubtedly is, now, if, if your conservatism does not un- have a proper understanding of human nature, that I believe only a Christian worldview provides that understanding. Because without a Christian worldview, you may understand the fall aspect of human nature, but not the redemptive element that provides the alternative to that fall. But without a Christian worldview, if you're conservative without one, you're going you're gonna to fall for this canard. And it's similar to what we were just mocking the left for last hour when they were saying, you're bad and that's why you need us. We're not. You're going to say, they're bad. Our institutions are not. You're going to do that, the reverse of that on the right. And you're going to decide that, you know, the baby's not quite as dead when the Republicans are cutting the funding to Planned Parenthood. You're going to decide that the border is not quite as open when the Republicans aren't closing it. That, those are the things you're going to do. And you're going to assume that, therefore, every time someone outside of your native constituency groups charges the police with assault or brutality or corruption, um, says that the military is, is, is budget is bloated, 
the intelligence community should not be spying on every American as if they are, you know, under the presumption of guilt. You're going to look at those things and you're not going to see them as, as objective statements to consider, but you're going to recoil and see them as assaults against your native constituency group. See, a Christian worldview says to me that when a culture is in moral decline, it's actually the people in power that are going to be the most susceptible, not the least, because they've got access to, uh, to opportunities to inflict their sinfulness that most of us don't have. Right? You may like porn, but the average guy that indulges in porn doesn't have the, doesn't have the resources to conduct a human trafficking ring. But Jeffrey Epstein does. You may watch you may watch the women that Jeffrey Epstein procured on an internet video, but you don't have the access to actually have physical sex with them. The 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 celebrities and stars that went to Jeffrey Epstein's island do. See the point that I'm trying to make? Yeah. The people in power, when there's a systemic collapse in a culture, morally it is the people who wield power that are more susceptible to it than the masses, not the other way around. Now, this is, we don't get this, though, which is why when a culture begins to collapse, the masses look for someone who has the answers or some, a group of someone, some elites or one elite. This is why when a culture's virtue collapses, tyranny is the next step. This guy looks like this, a savior. This guy looks like a messiah. This group is going to save us from the other bad guys. It's actually the exact opposite. When a culture is in a moral collapse, we actually need to go local more. You need to take your own situation into your own hands more, not entrust the system more. That's the wrong thing to do because the system has the ability. They're not just because they took an oath or they wear a badge or they own a uniform doesn't absolve them of sinfulness. They're not a deliverer. They're not a savior. They're not God. And so when there's, when there's the loss of virtue in the culture, that's a time to be more suspicious of those in authority, not less. Because they hold the ability at the fingertips that most of us will never understand, will never have access to, can only theoretically even contemplate it. They have the ability at any moment like that to immediately access their own sinfulness, take indulge it fully, and then inflict it upon the rest of us. Does that make sense, Aaron? Absolutely, yeah. And just a couple of things. Um, you know, th- this is such a, an important conversation to have because this is uh, this is core to what uh, conservatism should be, and what, in many cases, uh, is you know, pretending to be and is not. And and I'll just say this. I want to reset the definition that you came up with two or three years ago about what conservatism is. Conservatism is the observational science of what has worked best for the Republican Party to win elections? No. <laughs> conservatism is the observational science of what has worked best for the human condition throughout history. Not for any institution, what has worked best for the human condition mm-hmm. throughout history. What is implied in that is that there is a condition to humanity. 
and that 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 condition more um, more and more we're seeing this right in our face every single day but that condition is bad and it does not distinguish between whether or not you've gone to church and are a pious man for your entire life or if you are a knuckle dragger that human condition is implicit in each and every one of us and it is really tempting especially especially when when there are institutions and positions where it is in, it is oftentimes uh, if not um, if if not the regular that you are putting your, you you are showing your virtue in the case of a police officer in the case of somebody who's working to secure our our nation or whether that's at our border or uh, anywhere else or around the world whether or not you're it, it you know they are putting their virtue out there sometimes but still that heart inside there is desperately evil as well and again it is a tempting thing especially for uh, for those of us who are for those of you, I, I guess, who are more, uh, who are older and remember maybe yeah. a little bit yep. um, more of the, I don't want to, I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here, but kind of the glory days sure. uh, or more, maybe something similar to Americana that we, we have known about. It's easier for you to go back and point to the glory days and say, yes, this is why we need to stick with this institution. But I think we all need a reminder all of the time that human nature, whether or not it's the army soldier, the policeman in your own neighborhood who maybe do great things, or whether it's yourself or somebody else or the knuckled, human nature is evil. And we have to remember that as conservatives because that'll change everything, the way we view everything, just not, not just voting, but the way we see everything. And if Jesus doesn't come back and America lasts that long, when you get to my age and older, Aaron, the next generation is going to say the same thing to you. This, yep. That's part of the human condition too, yep. is the conflation of nostalgia with tradition. All right? Nostalgia and tradition can sometimes be the same thing, but they're, they're not always the same thing. Tradition is, is an acknowledgement. In fact, in some respects, it's another way of saying conservatism when, it, when it's properly and rightly divided. It's an acknowledgement of worked, what worked well in the past so that it can empower you to update it and utilize it for your present and future. Tradition's an empowering vehicle in human in the arc of, of, of human history. Nostalgia is a paralyzing one. Because what nostalgia will have you do doing is is is, th- is saying that the condition the we can't win or or the situation's not right unless the conditions of the past that I benefited from or I remember fondly, those exact conditions have to be met. Let me give you an example. Much of the biggest argument we have had on the right since Ronald Reagan left office is who's going to be the next Reagan as opposed to who's going to build on the legacy of Reagan. Yep. Building on the legacy of Reagan is tradition. Finding out who's the next Reagan, that's nostalgia. And by the way, a lot of the people that want to find the next Reagan are Republicans who hated Reagan and opposed him when he arose to power the first time. Nostalgia is paralyzing. Nostalgia is where the, the disciples watch Jesus' ascension. And then they just sit around and look at each other like, holy crap, that was so cool. Let's just like stay right here, man. We're never going to see anything cooler than that. And then the voice of tradition comes down from above and says, hey, uh, what you just witnessed should cause you 
to now do what we told you to do and called you to do, to carry out your commission. Not just to sit around here like you're looking at one of those, you know, viewers we had when I was a kid that the kids that Aaron's generation now calls virtual reality. Okay. Don't just sit there and like, wow, did you guys see that? How cool was that? Let's think we could see that again. And the voice from above says, hey, because of what you just saw, get busy. Get busy living or get busy dying. You were given a charge, a commission, time to carry it out. Tradition is where you look at the fantastic thing you just witnessed or experienced. You're like, because of that, I'm now going to blank. Nostalgia is where you just sit around, firing up the Judds. Tell us about the good old days. That's what nostalgia does. There's been a lot of nostalgia on the right. Not a lot of tradition. And when we talk about how do we, how do we make it look like it did in 1985 again, we're like, hey, can we get one of those uh, you know, mentally ill uh, trannies uh, to speak at CPAC next year? That's what happens when you conflate nostalgia with tradition. Yeah. This uh, Muslim, atheist, vegan, pansexual lizard person is the next uh, yes. Reagan. Yes. Noah Dempsey says, I am a student and being taught that America has no unique culture, that we are just a whole bunch of cultures mixed together. I'm also being taught there's nothing unique about America and that America has a bad history. My question is, what is American culture and what is unique and special about America? I, I would respond to this, Noah, rather than giving you a dissertation. I, I, would ask, I would challenge your thinking on this. Name another culture in the world that, that currently is being debated about whether it's special or not. Why are we having this debate? You only would debate a question worthy of considering. So the fact that this is being debated indicates it's worthy of discussion. It would only be worthy of discussion if it was worthy. <laughs> All right? If it was worthy. Like, you're, are, are you and your teachers debating whether Joe Biden's new favorite African country, Ghana? Are you guys debating whether Ghana has a unique providential history or not? No? Why? Are you debating the, the media's uh, favorite country uh, to, to make collusion charges today? Ukraine. You guys debating Ukrainian exceptionalism? No, why? So, so what is it about America? The, the fact that America is being debated as to having some unique special history. You know what that proves? That it does. That's the best proof of, the, of that truth. There'd be no point in debating it if it was self-evident the other way. So then why debate it? Well, the reason they want to debate it, Noah, is because they want to rob young people like you of your legacy, your cultural heritage, and brainwash you to think differently. That's why. You should ask those who are making such claims, where, did our, where do you think, therefore, our notions of freedom and liberty came from in America? Where did the idea that rights come from God? What other country had those notions that we took that from? What other countries had a free press before us? What other, what other countries' cultures devised a governing document that sought to limit the scope and power of the government instead of the people. Who did that before us?
because one of the things you'll learn in philosophy, no, if you take that class, is it what's called a fallacy. And a fallacy is, for example, if it's true that, um, if it's true that white evangelicals only cared about um, philandering presidents when Bill Clinton was in office. If that's true, then the other side of the argument must be true as well, which is leftists only care about philandering presidents in office now that there's a Republican named Donald Trump doing it. Because if, if one side's assertion is true, the opposite assertion must also be true in philosophy. Otherwise, that's what's called a fallacy. So challenge the premise of, the, of what you're being taught. They should be able to answer these questions if that's not true. If it's not true that America, America does not have a unique providential history. Now, I didn't say perfect, Noah. To me, the, the secret sauce of America's greatness is that we established a unique way of doing things that allowed us to self-course correct. Meaning, the very freedoms that we denied blacks at our founding, that gave to everybody that was white, but, but, but the notions that we asserted there hypocritically by saying that all men are created equal and then about a third of the people that signed on to that document went home to their slaves, including the guy that wrote it, all right? So let's just use Jefferson specifically. The idea that Jefferson is, is, is credited with coining the phrase that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them would be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then he went home uh, to Monticello there and um, denied that life, liberty, and happiness to the slaves he had for many years. But yet it was the irony of this is it was it was this value that Jefferson instilled in our founding that created the argument and the framework for us to correct his own hypocrisy in another time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Meaning that it was the way we were founded that allowed us to overcome the frailties and hypocrisies of our founders, because I don't go to the church of the founding fathers either. I greatly appreciate them for what they passed on to us. Not necessarily for who they were. Those are two totally different things. I'm not here to apologize for Ben Franklin's moonlighting, Thomas Jefferson's slave owning. I'm not their press agents, but I am deeply appreciative for the values that they didn't always live out perfectly but that they instilled and passed on to us and then allowed future generations to, to overcome the beams in their eyes. To overcome the spurs in their, sat, in their saddles, if you will. Their, own, their, their blights, their hypocrisies, their blind spots. So what I would urge you to do, and I'd urge just everybody else, when you're being confronted with these things, what do you ask those that are doing the confronting? What do you want instead? You don't like where America's founding was from? And the reason I would urge you to ask this before getting into debate, because we want to find out, are you really having a debate? Or are you being indoctrinated? Because if there's a debate, that would be a give and take, right? Okay, you don't like my, my you know, understanding of America's history and therefore how I think you know, the country ought to be governed. 
where do you get your where, 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 what, what's the origin of your belief system then what's the origin of, of your view of what America ought to look like then give me some examples give me some specifics I'd start there there's no law that says we always have to be the ones on the defensive. Put them on the defensive. What do you want instead? All right, Thomas Jefferson may have impregnated Sally Hemming or whatever her name is, which I believe the genetic testing has said is not true, but let's just go with it. Okay, cool. So Thomas, Hem- Thomas Jefferson impressed in, in, uh, impregnated a, a, a black female slave. So that means you want America to do what? Have a 75% top marginal tax rate and like every other country that's ever bankrupted itself? I mean, what is their alternative that they want then? Because what you're going to learn about leftist Noah is this is not about intellectual pursuit. It's about will to power. Everything they say and do is about obtaining control. So you want to just jump to the end of the argument, Noah. What is it you want to do instead? when when, When I fall for your fallacies and I give you control... And when, I, when, when I'm annoyed with Trump's Twitter account and therefore I vote for an open communist like Elizabeth Warren so that I can feel better at the golf course and you know the racquetball club, okay, while she's invoking you know, Soviet-style uh, policies. Did you ask her beforehand what she wanted to do instead? What's the, what's the fallacy that because Ben Franklin uh, was not a saint, what is it you're supposed to ac- accept and, and agree to have imposed on you in exchange for granting that premise. Force them to reveal that to you. And what you're going to often find, in fact, I bet you it's 100%. Almost nobody telling you these things is interested in a real pursuit of truth. They're really just interested in a will to power. They want to control you. And the way they got to get you to agree to this is they have to get you to agree to crap and abandon your legacy as, an, as a free individual made in the image of God with rights that come from God and not government. They have to get you to abandon that so that you'll adopt their religion instead. Hope that answers your question. Before we get back to the emails, um, wouldn't it be nice if search engines and social media sites were unbiased platforms that didn't choose a side politically? Keep dreaming, all right? These big tech companies that push their political agendas and restrict free speech rights of conservatives are the very same corporations you're trusting to handle your personal data online. I believe I saw yesterday Mark Zuckerberg admitted to a couple of senators that his company Facebook was wrongly censoring Lila Rose in live action. Whoops. That's why you want to use ExpressVPN every time you go online. When I use ExpressVPN, these tech companies cannot see my IP address at all. My identity is masked and anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting 100% of your data from hackers, internet bad guys, and scammers. It's not complicated. It takes five minutes to install this. Even I can do it, all right? And Aaron thinks now I'm an old man. So if you're like me and believe your internet data belongs to you and not to the tech elites, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months of expressvpn.com slash Steve. Get three months of ExpressVPN free. Free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Three months for free with a one-year package at expressvpn.com slash Steve. One more time, three months free for one year, expressvpn.com slash Steve. We'll come back. More of Feedback Friday in a moment. (laughs) 
millions of Americans struggling with chronic pain that comes from inflammation in the body. I'm telling you, this is a part of my daily regimen. I'd highly recommend it. It's called Relief Factor. Two best things about this, other than it works. But there's there's things that could work too that may not necessarily have these added extra benefits, all right? Number one, it's 100% drug-free. And then number two, it's created by physicians. You know, one of the things I'm really concerned about is how many antibiotics and drugs we're taking nowadays. And I'm not like anti-science whatsoever, you know? Um, but if, if we take those for everything, you know, your body eventually builds up immune system, you know, immunity to these things. And so, you know, if you take these things for everything, then the, the kinds of dosages you're going to need later on have to build. That's a lot of wear and tear on the body. I mean, keep in mind, these are called antibiotics as an antibiology, all right? We're going against the biology here uh, in order to heal the body, okay? So um, that's what I love about this. An opportunity for me to, to, to naturally see if I can deal with an issue before going to drugs. I'd always advise that before you do that, okay? Unless you have an injury. If you get an injury, get treatment. But here we're talking about inflammation in the body. That's different. And the body was made to push back against inflammation, and that's what they want to do uh, with Relief Factor. And who's the they? That's my second talking point that I love the most. It's created by doctors. So, you know, these aren't a bunch of granola crunching, you know. Uh, yeah, man, there's a natural way to heal everything. Bra, Tom Cruise told me while he was, you know, railing against drugs on a Today Show set once. No, they, these folks understand there's a balance here. All right. And these are doctors that can prescribe drugs, but then they also recognize the stuff I was telling you as well. So was there a way to help and encourage the body to naturally push back on inflammation? And it's the formula that they've come up with here with Relief Factor. I love it. It's made a, it's been a huge benefit to me. I'd highly recommend it. And if you don't believe me, if you think we're blowing this out of proportion, and I'll tell you, before I came to work here, when I would appear on Blaze shows and the host would talk about how great this is, I was like, can it really be that good? Yes, it is. But you know what? Because there's nothing wrong with some skepticism in this day and age. Try the starter kit. All right? They're going to give this to you for three weeks for a dollar a day. Three weeks, 20 bucks, one dollar a day. That's how confident we are that you're going to like this. All right. It's called the starter kit. Go get it right now at relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. All right. Back to some feedback Friday. This is from Robert Sharkey. He writes, from age 26 to 31, I partook of the identity sin of being a transgender. My reasoning was, as you guys said, mental instability. I had a childlike attachment to Japanese cartoons where they basically drew women, but made them male where it counted. They're called traps, Admiral Akbar. Speaking for myself, my motive was purely superficial. I looked God in the eye and asked him to forgive me each time I took an estrogen pill. Finally, he had enough and broke me in a way that needed to happen. And I've been cured ever since. I cannot fathom how anyone could break out of this without God. But for me, it was just as genuine as a miracle as when Jesus gave man gave a man sight. And that's from Robert Sharkey, who says, I'm your fan forever. Thank you, Robert, for sharing your testimony and the kind words. And your story is why we do this show the way that we do it. It's why we're not going to bend the knee to anybody but Jesus here. It's why we're not going to go with 
This is, hey, this is what's now acceptable in conservative media to get booked on speaking tours. Nope, we're not doing that either. I had, I, I think that's, that's good money. I'd be happy to be booked on speaking tours. But if the entry price is, I have to sign off on whatever is the latest conservative generic knockoff of America's um, cultural craziness, nah, I'll pass. O'Hare Airport sucks anyway, okay? So that's why we do this. Because we want to see more stories like yours, Robert. This goes to the conversation we had about a month ago, Aaron. If we, as a movement, affirm people in their mental illness so we can use them as political mascots to own the libs and get our own talking points out there and say, like Ben Carson today is being attacked for being transphobic. There is no such thing. It's a made up word. And our tendency is let's go find, there's got to be somebody that with, with a mental illness that, that is, that likes Ben Carson and we can do a photo. No, no, we're not going to do any of that here. Why? Because if we affirm this, there, there won't be any healing. There won't be any redemption. We refuse to affirm this, not because we don't love you, but because we do. Because we do. Because when you're deeply, that deeply embedded in a mental illness or your own sin, I recognize sometimes people do this out of their own sin, as Robert articulated, and sometimes it's just a mental illness. Either way, you're suffering. When, when Jesus gives one of his first, if you, if you read through the New Testament in chronological order, one of Jesus' very first sermons is in his own hometown. And he come, he's just come out of the wilderness. He spent 40 days there. This is in the Gospel of Luke. Being tested, prepared for his earthly ministry. And he goes into his local synagogue where he grew up. And it, he is to do the scripture reading that day. And they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And I, I, I don't know, the scriptures don't tell us if that was the assigned reading that day or if he was able to choose what to read. We don't know that. But we do know what he, what he read. And, he, and he, reads, he begins to read from the 61st chapter of the prophet Isaiah's writings. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Why? To do what comes next. To mend the brokenhearted. To recover the sight of the blind. To free, the, to set the captives free. And he goes on to, to talk about what will be the signs that the Messiah is here. And he's laying down a marker. I am now going to go out and I'm going to do these things. And then at the end of his earthly ministry, he says to his disciples, now you are going to go out and do these things. Maybe even greater things because you're going to reach more people with the power of the Holy Spirit than I could just in this one mortal body. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we don't affirm crazy. We don't affirm corrupt. We don't, we don't affirm those things. We're, we're here as his church to be the antidote to those things. And at the cost of, of success in this air, in this arena is to say, well, that's our conservative mental illness. No, 
it might get, you know what, it might, it might generate some extra clicks. I might finally have Facebook unshadow ban me for playing along a little bit, maybe. But I'm going to leave people like Robert Sharkey here suffering in their own sin and mental ang- anguish and illness. And man, I, I'd, I'd really like to be rich. Would you, would you like to be rich, Aaron? Oh, yeah. I'd take it. Wouldn't turn it down, right? As much as I'd like all of those things, one day I'm going to expire. And when I do, I'm going to meet the most powerful being in this universe face to face. And he's going to ask me questions like, where was the mending of the brokenhearted? Where was the setting the captives free? I mean, that's cool that your speaker banquet circuit was full. That's great. But you left poor people like Robert Sharkey on the side of the road. Why'd you do that? I can't come up with a good answer for that. Can you? No. Neither can I. So I'm going to have plenty of things to answer for. I don't want that to be one of them. And that's why we do, Robert, stories like yours. That's why we do what we do here. Not to leave you alone in the darkness, but to try to help you come back out here to the light. Thank you for sharing your story. Did you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want, I, I would just say, um, you know, a, a few months ago and earlier this year, the people who were giddily sharing the, the videos of, uh, of mini AOC, did you see those back uh, earlier no, this year? No, I did not, no. A little girl dressed up like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doing skits, and it's funny and cute. Uh, the same people who are uh, now just, this is terrible, This the, what the left is using this Greta Thunberg for, and I don't know if you've heard of her as well, but she's all over my Twitter feed for the last, Oh, she's like this a kid who's not even from here, right? Yes, who's not even from here. And who's she's obsessed with the planet autistic. dying. And I, yeah. I have made a choice in both of those, and again, this is not about me, but I, I made a choice in both of those circumstances. We are not about mascots here. We can never, never give in to that inclination on any level. But because this person with a mental illness over here seems like, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty decent. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to make me care. Uh, he, he seems decent. Um, we're going to overlook everything that we're looking or that we're trying to work against on a spiritual and on a, on a movement basis, whatever that movement is now. We're just going to overlook that because he says sweet nothings. No. We cannot be about that. If we are, if, if we kowtow around that, um, there's what's the point? What's the point of any of this, really? What is the point of any of this? But I just I say that to. If, if we just are about making mascots, and finding people who say nice things about us, there is no point to doing what we do on a day to day basis. There really is not. Amen. Chris Roman writes, if the president won the 2016 election by 70 to 100,000 votes, forgive me if I don't know the number, it's actually fewer than 78,000 votes spread out over three states. Not in one, not 78,000 in each state total. 
Yep. 78, fewer than 78,000 total votes is what he won Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan by total. All right. So if the president won the 2016 election by fewer than 78,000 votes, can you imagine if he loses the vapors due to his attempt at a prohibition type of thing? I read that 10 million folks vape nationwide. So six people die from using stuff on the street that is not licensed, that is not in any licensed juice, and this is the hill to die on it politically. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense politically. Now, if you're a married man, happy wife, happy life, okay? This is clearly something that uh, the missus wanted. Yep. And um, if you're Donald Trump, between Stormy Daniels and Playboy Bunnies and uh, Hush Monies, um, you've, you've, you've made a lot of withdrawals out of that account. If you know what I'm saying, gentlemen, mm-hmm. all right, that, that account's probably been in the red for a bit. You gotta, you gotta make some deposits right quick. So you, you're probably thinking, I'm not really in a position to tell the wife no on this right now. That being said though, Chris, you're politically thinking smart. You know, if, if you look at, and I just looked up the latest CDC data and I don't know how this parlays into vaping. Okay, I don't. I don't know if people that want to get rid of uh, cigarettes, if this is where they go, and that's the majority of, of of who those ten million vapors are. If it's a mixture of those, and then young people who are like, "Hey, it looks cool, and I can get, I can take up the habit of smoking without all of the other additional carcinogens that are located in a cigarette." I don't know the answer to that. All right, but let's assume that a sizable block of those who are tra- who are in vaping transition from cigarette smoking. Do you know the two groups that are way ahead? And I just looked up the latest CDC data as Aaron was talking before we did this email because I I was curious what the numbers were going to show. Do you know which two groups, according to the CDC, are way more likely to smoke than anybody else? People that live in the Midwest and people who have the equivalent education of a high school diploma or GED. Now, Do that, does that sound to you, Aaron, just sight unseen, like a block of voters Donald Trump needs to be self-aware about? Because it certainly does to me. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. It just certainly bit. does to me. All right. So again, according to the CDC, the, the two leading markers of cigarette smoking in America are people who live in the Midwest smoke in, in this region of the country far more than they do in any other region of the country. And then number two... And they're not, this isn't ranked one and two. They're just, these are two leading markers. I don't know where they're at in terms of which one is higher than the other. But uh, the region of the country that delivered Trump the presidency smokes more than any other region of the country. That's number one. And then number two, people with a high school equivalent education are eight times more likely to smoke than any other socioeconomic group in the country. So a high school diploma only, GED equivalent score, et cetera. So Chris... You may have a future in political consulting. Check that, Chris, you don't. Because you're actually interested in, in looking at what real data sh- says and then advising your candidate accordingly as opposed to getting your candidate to believe they can somehow uh, shift the data or make it say what it doesn't say because you want voters to vote for you for the reasons you want them to, not for the reasons that they would like to, which is how the vast majority of consultants in the Republican Party operate. So I'm sorry, Chris, I hated, hated to dangle that carrot in front of you. As a future lucrative career in political consulting, only then then dash your hopes with more than a dash of reality. But it is what it is. You can always sell your soul, too. You can try that, that, too. Yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. Um, this is from, from Todd Saffel. You know what, Todd? We're short on time, and this one is so good. I want to save it. He sent us a note. If the presidential candidates in the Democratic Party 
if they were um, sports teams, who would they be? Ooh. It's really good, too. I'm, I'm going to save it when we have more time. All right. Let's let's close with this from James Roach. He says, I, I live in, I'm 28. I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I was curious on how pastors need to address current political issues from the pulpit. I currently attend a church that doesn't seem to bring up any current issues that are in the political arena, but I also realize how crucial these issues are to our way of life and the life of others. So why aren't these issues being discussed in the pulpit and how would you address these issues in a sermon? Um, James, the reason that they're being politicized is because your past pastors like the, the pul- pulpit you're visiting aren't bringing them up and nature abhors a vacuum. It, it should not be politicized. Don't kill innocent people that haven't done anything wrong. Does that sound like it should be a partisan political statement in a Christian church to you, Aaron? Yeah, no. So. Not like your, your pastor probably shouldn't give his take on a particular notion of a healthcare policy, for example, unless it's being used to um, punish the infirmed, the elderly, or the unborn. Then he should. But in terms of, you know, your pastor shouldn't necessarily have a concern about uh, whether to cover prescription drugs for senior citizens or not. That's not, a, that's not his. He can have that as a, as a person, as a voter, but that's not what his pulpit is for. All right? But there are transcendent things that should not be politicized that he is there to preach for, about, and against. And these are transcendent moral issues. What's a person? What's a gender? When, when can we take a life or not? Is there, is there anything in the scriptures that addresses any of these topics? Except all the scriptures, all of them. Really? Because I just yeah. thought we were supposed to be nice. Yeah, all of them kind of address that, okay? So if you, have a, if, you, if you go to a church that doesn't address these things, but they're orthodox in their theology, it's because they're afraid. Meaning, if you find that theologically they don't water down the gospel, they just don't ever go there, they're just afraid. And then there is, well, they're already watering down their theology, so I don't know why they would water down the application of theology along those same lines. But this is a false choice. All right, we don't, um, I don't, you know, there's just things that the church is commanded to stand for, with, and against. And the scriptures are very clear on what those things are. And if your church is not doing so, doesn't mean they have to do so as a construct of the Republican Party or the Democrats for that matter. But they are to do so as a church. That's part of their job. Aaron, you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think just underscoring, again, underscoring all of this. We really, um, especially this hour it seems like, but we really, uh, all the things that we are talking about on a day-to-day basis, really just are getting back to first things. Because so much of what we go through even the even the things that look like it's solid meat that it is steak it is really just not necessary and not real and then the angles that you're sold on a day-to-day basis they are not uh they're, they're not real they're not of substance and that's what we try to get back to every single day even on things like this that took two minutes or things like we talk, talked about in the first segment uh, this hour uh that you know really warrant a lot more time that's what we're getting back to for first things on a day-to-day basis. Aaron and I are going to stick around, do a little best and worst of the week for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.